0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to DamascusRoadOnline.com. I want to give you a picture of the last few days of my life, um, the last few days in my week, and I don't want to do it just to say, like, look at me, but I, but to say, um, we're coming. This, this week has been full. Yesterday, I got to go to Fond du Lac to attend a wedding of a former student. Um, in high school, she was in a car accident with nine of her friends, and three of them died. And uh, she healed, and she got married yesterday. And so there's, there's beauty, and there's healing, and there's also a weight, because you recognize there are parents of three girls who never get to experience that. There's three girls who never... Uh, get to get married, and and yet she does, and we celebrate that, and it was beautiful. That was Saturday. Friday, I sat down with the family of somebody who just died this week unexpectedly, uh, thirty year old, and you a lot of you know him. Um, and talking about Brian, and getting to know him through their life, and the words that they would use to describe him, the stories that they would tell as they get as they get ready to celebrate and mourn this coming Wednesday. Uh, I got a a text from uh, a friend of mine also, um, Mike. I mean, you won't mind me sharing. Saying uh, somebody in the Serenity House this week lost their life. Uh, Friday I was in court, in family court, um, and and witnessing... um, The broken world that we live in where kids don't get to grow up in a perfect family home, but I get to see a mom fighting for the health of her kid and family, and I want to cheer that on and also recognize this is heavy stuff. So I don't know what kind of week you've had. I know that there's a ton of stuff going on right now. And when we met before the service... Um, to pray with the worship team, we said, uh, nevertheless, we worship. In all things, we worship. And we don't worship as a way of pretending or avoiding the stuff going on in life. We worship because God is always worthy. Because God meets us where we are. And He calls us to be people who meet each other where we are. So whether you're coming from a week of victory... Or you're coming from some of the hardest days you've ever faced into. Welcome. We want this to be a space where you're safe. And we want us to be a people where we can be safe together. We are never going to change the world by going to church. We change the world by being the church. Right? God doesn't call us to a place, though we are called to gather, it's because we come together, not because this is an exciting place, right? When we are the church as Jesus intended, life happens. We celebrate, we celebrate God in our midst, while we also recognize this life is a mess. Being the church means being willing to get in the mess with people and that's scary. We want to we want to kind of distance ourselves. But we can't. We can't do life through binoculars. Like, oh, that's tragic. To really engage as the church, we put down the binoculars and we walk into it. We engage where people are. We get down in the mud and we get down in the blood and we get messy. Because Jesus did right, and so we're going we're going to talk today about in Colossians Paul is talking about things that we put on, and these like we like we talked about mother's Day last week, these aren't just high and lofty ideas, this is real this Matters when Paul says, "Put it on." It's because it matters. When Paul says, "I want you to live this way in Christ," it's not like, "Oh, that's very good and that's very wise." It's because we need it, and the world around us needs it, and our church needs it. Well, let's um, let's pray. And then we're going to read in Colossians 3, starting in verse 11, right where we left off last week. Father, we need your love. And you're generous with your love. We need your presence and you're generous with your presence. Jesus, you told your people that you're standing and waiting and knocking and you just want us to open up and let you in. And that's for your people. That's, that's not just for the world outside to say, I want to come and meet you. That's for people who, with whom you already have a relationship. That's us. And I pray as we already have this morning that we would open up to you. Jesus, that we would let you more and more come in. That we would spend time with you. That we'd let your spirit free in our lives. We want to live with you. We need you. As we open up now into Colossians, we ask that you would help us to hear from you. That you give us discernment, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us humility, and that you would give us a kind of courage that says, I, I will follow Jesus. Help us to do that. As we open up your word today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Colossians 3 starting in verse 11. Paul writes, here here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these. Put on love. Which binds everything together. In perfect harmony. Paul has just finished. Saying you died. To your old life. You've been raised to new life. And so have nothing to do with the old life. There's stuff that you've got to put away, that you've got to continue putting to death. Put that away. And he says, here, meaning here, in the family, in the church, here, we don't look at where you've come from. We don't look at your cultural heritage. We're not blind to those things. You don't just become one melting pot and we're all the same. But We don't use those things to compartmentalize. We don't use those things uh, as a hierarchy. We see each other as we are, and we engage in community together. Paul says, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what family you've come from. It doesn't matter what religious church background you've come from. If you have Jesus, we're in this together. And he says, therefore, right? Starting in verse 12. Therefore, meaning if we're all in this together, that leads to something. That leads to something. He says, put on then. Put on then. Meaning, you have Christ within. You have the spirit within. And when you give yourself to Christ, when you first put your belief in him, you change Fundamentally, from the deepest core of who you are, he plants life in you and you change. And yet, you don't fully reflect that change yet. Right? You're perfect in standing before him and yet you're, you're being made holy. You're, you're, you, continue, you continue to be transformed. Right? And so Paul says, put on. Like you go get muddy in the garden, take a shower, and you put on new clean clothes. Paul says, this is a new life. And I want you to put certain things on. But before I tell you what to put on, Paul says, put on then, therefore. And he, he's like, comma, this is important. Because I'm not going to get right at what you need to put on. I want to remind you about who you are first. This isn't about moralism. This isn't about just doing the right things. This is about what you do because of who you are. Paul says, as God's chosen ones, as God's chosen ones, you have Christ in you. That didn't come from you earning it. That comes from God looking at you and desiring you and calling you home. When Jesus came. He came, said he came to seek and save. He's calling you. God chose you. To be with him. And if you haven't yet. I think he's calling your name. I want you to pay attention. to say, God are you, are you calling me? Do you love even me? In my opinion. Strongly my conviction is. I would look you in the face and tell you. Yes, absolutely, without a doubt. You don't have to worry about not being chosen. God's already done everything, everything to pay to redeem you. He is calling your name. Will you open up into it? Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 looks back in the history of God choosing, of God calling people out, calling his nation out. Deuteronomy 7 says this. It was not because... You were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's not because, it's not because you earned it. Paul says, I want you to put stuff on because you've been chosen. And you weren't chosen because you're all that great. You were chosen because God is crazy about you. So if you're in here this morning and you're feeling not all that great, it doesn't matter. In spite of that, God calls your name. He loves you. He adores you. He chooses you where he could look the other way, he comes straight at you and says, I want to be with you in this mess. I want to change your life. Paul says, put on as God's chosen ones. He says, holy. As God's chosen ones, holy, which means set apart, right? It's not a big churchy word. It doesn't have to be. It's not like as those who follow all the rules and look really religious, look really righteous. It means set apart. As if God came down and grabbed you out of the muck and set you out and said, now, would you help those people in the muck? Not run away and think real highly of yourself. Not start to say, look at me, how clean I am. But like, You look where you came from. You say, i got to go back. Not my identity. I'm not going to jump back into the mud because that's what's calling my name. My name has been called and I will go back so that I can help other people uh, hear their name being called. You're holy. You're set apart. You're to look different. Filled with hope. Filled with joy. Beyond the circumstances. Set apart. Life is within, in Christ. And that causes you to look differently at the world. You look different than the world, and you look differently at the world. And now we're on a rescue mission with Jesus, right? Paul says, put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy. And then what does he say? Beloved, God is crazy about you. God adores you. God delights in you. Why? Because God has so much love. It's not, again, because you're super lovable. You ever try to love somebody who doesn't want it? Like, that's hard and that's messy. That doesn't change your approach to them. Sometimes it does. We're like, fine, you know, whatever. God doesn't do that. God doesn't, like, wash his hands of us and say, you're on your own. He continues to pursue because of him, not because of you, but it is about you. God will not give up on you. He will not stop chasing you. He loves you. He delights in you, and he wants you with him. That changes things, right? That That protects us from just saying, all right, what do I got to do if I want to be in? That says, like, he's already accepted me. He's already called me home. I put my faith in Christ. I put my life in his hands and everything changes because he called my name. Because he set me apart. Because he delights in me. I don't even understand that. But it's about him. And that changes things. Paul says... Paul says, put on then as God's, holy, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts is the first in the list. And he says, uh, the, the word that they use, it, it doesn't, like our translators are nice to us. They say hearts. The, the literal word is bowels. <laughs> All right? From compassionate bowels. I don't know. Let's not go there. <laughs> what it what it means is from your guts. From your guts. From the deepest part of you. In the biblical language, your guts were the, the center of your emotions. We like the heart because it's prettier. Like we do this heart. It's way prettier than the actual heart, right? So, But from the deepest part of you, from the center of your emotions, that's... That's where you reach out with compassion. So the New Living says something like tender-hearted mercy. that That we have tender hearts for people. From our guts, we love people. We engage with people. We go to where they are. It says compassionate hearts and kindness. We need more kindness. My kids need to see more kindness from me your kids probably need to see more kindness from you. <laughs> Our kids need to see more kindness from you. <laughs> okay? We need more kindness in this church. We need more kindness in this world. And God says, because of who you are, act with kindness. So one picture, one picture that has been um floating and bobbing around in my head all week is this picture in uh, 2 Samuel 9. A guy named Mephibosheth. Excuse me. Okay. When David becomes king, Saul has been chasing him. Saul has been trying to cut him off. And Uh, David assumes the throne and he's got all of the rule and what would be common in the day, what was common in the day for a king that has come to power out of strenuous circumstances, tumultuous circumstances, would he would go and he would say, I'm going to knock off that king and then I'm going to find every one of his family and I'm going to knock them off too so that none of them can come and get me. I will establish my throne. Right, And David has a different approach. As God's chosen one, David says, is there anybody left in Saul's family? And you could start to hear the tension like, oh, I know it's coming. And he says, because I want to show kindness to them. And he finds one son from Saul's family named Mephibosheth. And he says, I want you to go get Mephibosheth. And I want you to bring him here which is still that, like, what's happening? And I says, Mephibosheth will always have a seat at my table. He will always eat with me. He will be included around the table. This is a guy, Mephibosheth is a guy, because of his family, because of his heritage, he, he is put at odds with King David. And David says, I'm, I'm not going to continue that story. I'm going to write a different story. I'm going to turn the page and we start a new chapter. Mephibosheth comes here. And it's not because he's worthy. It's not because he sought out the king and said, I'm so sorry. and I'll be kind to you. Okay, I'll be kind back. It's because David sought him out and said, whatever was is not now. We're writing something different together. You have Mephibosheth's. You have people that you could exact vengeance on. That you could go to and say, I'm going to, carry, I'm going to carry bitterness toward you my whole life. Somebody else hurt me and you're going to pay for it. And King David shows us and Paul says, like, be kind. It gets messy. Kindness gets messy. Kindness isn't all nice and cute. Kindness is being kind to people who don't deserve it kindness is an action not an emotion so you might feel like i don't i don't want to do that and i would say what does it look like to be to do kindness in in spite of your emotions <clears throat> who do you need to invite into your life now so time out i'm not saying be dumb I'm not saying be foolish with people who have been hurtful to you and dangerous and have abused you. You don't just go and say, will you come to my table and have dinner? Okay, There, is, there are healthy boundaries that you need to be wise with. But that doesn't mean you carry around bitterness the rest of your life. That's poison for you. Kindness is actually an antidote for me. When I'm kind, something happens to me. And it benefits others as well. But that doesn't mean you just turn a blind eye. You act smart. But you, you don't, you won't quit with kindness. Find the Mephibosheths in your life. <laughs> How can you be kind? Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, and humility. So this is this is something that's pretty common to us today. We would say, yep, to be humble. Yep, we like that. That's a sought-after um, attribute in somebody. Even uh, business world leaders say, like, level five leaders have this personal humility to them, to say, it's not about me, we just got lucky. We're like, yeah, right, okay. But humility today is recognized as a good uh, character, character attribute. In Paul's day, Paul's writing counterculturally, because humility was seen as weakness. Pride and confidence was exalted. Pride and confidence were to be sought after, and Paul says, "I want, I want you to be different." In the same way that Jesus says, "I want you to be different than the world." Jesus says, "Like I didn't sit on my throne and call you up to bow." I came down into the dirt. I humbled myself because I am humble. That wasn't, that wasn't uh, something that wasn't a part of God's character before. God has always been humble. Because He's humble, Jesus came down. And He says, I want you to mimic that. I want you to think others first. Others first. How can I serve? How can I give? How can I pour into others? It's not not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking rightly about yourself and, and then setting your actions and your sights for the benefit of others. Paul says, I want you to be humble. I want you to put on humility. And meekness comes with it. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is power under control. And so it's the picture of a horse that is trained, it's broken in, that there's such great power there, and yet it's, it's moving in a certain direction. People talk about wind in the same way, like a gentle breeze. You know the power that wind can have. And when a breeze blows, you're like, oh, that's wonderful. You have felt that on a warm day when a breeze just comes by. And that's not because wind is weak. You just appreciate the way that it can be at times. Water can be like that. There's great power in water. Medicine can be like that, right? Medicine, if you take the right amount, the right power can bring healing and can bring health. Medicine, if taken incorrectly, messes you up. So have power. Have, I want you to be powerful people living in the spirit and living in the power that he's giving you. But I want you to be meek in that it's a power under control. I'm not going to let my power just go puke on everybody. I'm not going to like spit up on everybody and beat up everybody and like just go to town on everybody. I'm going to discipline myself so that I can live a crazy powerful life. And yet self-control is in the mix. That people aren't just getting hurt when I zoom by and they get caught up in my wake. Paul says, be meek. Put on meekness. And he's patience. I'm pretty sure the King James says long suffering. And I love that, I love that mirror image of patience. Like long suffering. You will uh, you will experience people in your life that make you suffer. <laughs> And patience says, okay, I'll keep coming. Okay. 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 If you're a parent, you know what this is. You know what this is. If 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 you're in here and kids running around like drives you crazy, patience, long suffering is real. That you would you would open yourself up to suffering um, on behalf of somebody else for their good. That doesn't mean you let people just run crazy through your life. Like, boundaries are good. Like, parenting is needed. Discipline is kind when it's done right. But it's not about me. I need to be patient. I need to be open to suffering and enduring through that. Say, I'm not going to get wrecked. I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep at it. People will betray you. People will hurt you. And you keep, you keep up with it. And then Paul goes into this. Compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He says, now let me show you what this looks like. That you bear with one another. This is forbearance, which means to withhold punishment. To bear with one another is to put up with one another. <laughs> okay? He's starting down here. I want you to bear with one another. I don't want you to kick each other out. I don't want you to shame each other. I don't want you to condemn each other. I want you to I want you to withhold judgment. I want you to withhold condemnation. That's it has to start there. Because if you don't start there, everything else is messed up. Withhold condemnation. Don't don't let that seep into your church into your relationships, into you. Withhold that. Bear with one another. And then he builds. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So you, you withhold condemnation, but you go farther than that, Paul says. Paul says if someone's hurt you or if you've got a complaint against somebody, you, it's on you. To forgive. It's on them to ask for it. To, to want it. If you've hurt somebody. I would look you in the eyes and say. It's on you to go and admit it. It's on you to go and ask for forgiveness. But the same is also true. And people don't often like this message. The same is also true if you've been hurt. And you recognize it. We're to desire forgiveness. And Matthew 18 is a real clear call to say, if somebody has offended you, if somebody has hurt you, you go to that person. You don't start a gossip chain. You don't uh, ask your prayer group to pray for that person, which is a religious gossip chain. Okay? You go to that person. And if they hear you, what does it say? You just won them back. You want a brother or a sister back. You're back in relationship. This is what we're about. We're about reconciled relationships. And if you can play a part in it, yes, we do it. If you have a complaint against somebody, Paul says, forgive. Because, because, he said, Jesus forgave you. And that isn't a way of like, hooking you to say you better feel real bad cuz God did it for you you should shame on you if you don't give that to somebody else that's not really the message the message is you've been forgiven how much more can you are you now free to forgive others you're not carrying around condemnation you can help others no longer carry that themselves when you've been forgiven you're free to forgive and you're commanded to forgive. Paul says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Like, Don't do anything without love. Don't do anything without love. Don't speak the truth without love. Paul says, speak the truth in love. Paul says in Ephesians 4, truth isn't enough. Like, we run into all kinds of people today that say, I'm just speaking the truth. Not good enough. Not good enough. Especially for a Christian, not good enough. Don't you dare let that come out of your mouth. If it's just true, it's not enough. Truth in love, that doesn't mean it has to be cotton candy, right? That doesn't mean it has to be soft. Truth in love. Truth caring about the other person. Truth for the benefit of somebody else. And sometimes hard things need to be said. But it's not condemnation. It's not to beat them up. It's so that they could be sharpened. It's so that they could grow. It's because you want the best for them. Because you know God wants the best for them. We speak truth in love. We don't do anything without love. Because love has this unifying effect. Because Paul says it doesn't matter where we come from. In this life, there's not Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is everything. And so we love. Why, if we look back on this, we would we would be able to trace back the steps of Jesus. Was Jesus, was Jesus God's chosen one? Yep. Was Jesus holy? Absolutely. Was Jesus loved by the Father? Yeah. The the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is the ever community. They existed before anything else in perfect community, in love. Jesus was Loved like no other. Was Jesus, did Jesus have compassionate guts? Yes. His compassion moved him. Was Jesus kind? Was Jesus humble? Jesus is the best image of meekness I can imagine. The one who, can, the one who brings the world into existence by his word. The one who calms the waves, kills the storm, feeds the multitudes just by willing it into be, spreads his arms and allows himself to be crucified. Is that power under control? The one who could call armies from heaven down to rescue him. Didn't. Jesus, Jesus is everything. Jesus bears with us. John 3.17 says he didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He bears with us. And does he have a complaint against us? Yes. Right? We've all sinned against God. And that didn't prevent him from coming. And he forgives Freely, freely, and graciously, and wildly, Jesus forgives. And so we do. Is Jesus a picture of love? And a love that encompasses everything. Everything he did, he did out of love. And I would say, even when he was reprimanding the Pharisees, he did it because he loved them. He did it because that's what it would take. To penetrate not niceness, love that was direct, so I want to challenge you have you received Jesus because because you walk out of here and you start applying uh, compassionate heart and tenderness and Mercy to people, if you start trying to build up patience in your life and forgiveness, and you're doing that without Jesus, then that's just following a different set of rules, and that doesn't do anything. That's worthless. If you're in here this morning and you're like, that's what I want, you have got to start with Jesus. You have got to receive Jesus. To say, He came for you, He's got life for you, and you need to stop living your own life, stop being the master of your own life, and give it over to him and let him breathe life into you you submit to him and he trades places and your debt becomes his debt that he paid for it your sin is put on him and he gives you life in return if you are in here and you haven't received Jesus and you want to don't leave today without that Come and talk to me. Come and talk to somebody. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to somebody back in the prayer corner. Like, go after it. Go get somebody and say, I want Jesus. I don't want to leave here without him, because you can have him today. And if you have received Jesus, I would say, keep on receiving him. It's not something like you go to a vending machine, and you're like, I want a Pepsi, and now I've got my Jesus, and that was good. Receiving Jesus is like putting yourself under a faucet. And you just keep on receiving him. Are you filled? Yep. But I want to keep be I I, I want to keep after him. I just want I want to sit in his presence and let him oh, like flow out of me. That's what I want. So if you have received Jesus, keep at it. Keep at it. Live in his presence. Put yourself under the faucet and continue that. If you have received him, if you are receiving him, do you have someone you need to extend grace to? You do have someone you need to extend grace to. Ask God to give you their name. And I will pray for courage for you to extend grace. To whom do you need to show kindness this week? David went after Mephibosheth and brought him to the table. It could be a dinner table invitation. It doesn't have to be. But who needs your kindness? Maybe it's not doing it. Maybe it's just being present. Maybe maybe all you are is available. Maybe all you are is like hey I'm here. I don't need to say anything, I don't need to fix anything, I don't need to I'm just here. And you you act in kindness. Who needs your kindness this week? Who will you put first? In your relationship, you've been thinking about what you're getting out of it and not not about them. And who, with whom do you need to shift the focus and say oh oh jesus put me in his sights jesus came to serve me because he delighted in me and i can i can give that to somebody else say it's not all about what i'm getting out of this relationship what what can i give out of it you'd humble yourself and give to them who do you need to forgive Is that good for application? Yeah? We're going to go into communion. Which is all about Jesus living this. Jesus doing this. Jesus saying, nothing will keep me from you. I, I'm calling your name. And I will, I will not let anything, anything hold me back. You are called by the king who wants to be your father. And you receive that. Jesus was broken for you and for me. And take that little cracker and you think about the sacrifice that he made. And receive it as a gift. And take the cup and you think about the new life that he offers. That he pours through you. And I want you to think this morning while you drink that of Uh, visualize putting yourself under the faucet of Jesus and say fill me overflow like flow through me Jesus Spirit I I want to open myself up more to you and he will answer that prayer and we're going to re-engage with worship because God is worthy because that's what we do that is our work we come together and we worship God's name is great. The more, the more I study the names of God in the Bible, the more in awe of God I am. And the more I'm compelled to worship. So we're going to worship. And then we're going to jump back into the mess with a God who goes with us, right? Let's pray. Father, you love us. We are loved. We are chosen. We are redeemed. We are reconciled. We are brought back into you. These are passive statements. We didn't do anything to deserve it. All we do is receive it. You are the great, great giving God and that is not all you are you're a God who calls us into a relationship and then you send us out out with responsibilities that you call us to live a life imitating you and following you and we want to do that we want to be filled with you so that we can live with you so we can look at the other people in our world the way you do. Help us to put these things on because we're living our life with you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.